Can I rant for a second? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some random hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized that people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. That's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC terms apply. Did you know that 46% of us don't take all our vacation days? Even though it's been proven that taking time off to play makes us more productive. In California, no matter where you go, you'll find play. Explore a redwood forest, immerse yourself in art galleries, or just park yourself in a beach chair and chill. Play is everywhere in California, so take some well-deserved playtime off and discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Hey, it's Donald, and Kind Snacks has six new flavors for you to crave. Flavors like rosemary, strawberry, jalapeno, and raspberry. Each of the six flavors is made with number one ingredient seeds or nuts and has fruity or savory flavors depending on what you're craving. They're gluten-free with five to six grams of protein in every bar. Nutritious snacking doesn't have to be all blah and boring. The bar for people who love real food. Try all the flavors. Shop on KindSnacks.com today. Hey guys, I've been telling you about how we are big fans of Tacova's boots. Heritage, tradition, quality, comfort, style, and service are some of the best features of Tacova's. But now they also have a gift for our listeners. Tacova's will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps free with a minimum purchase of $100 at tacovas.com. Just use code REALFRIENDS at checkout. That's R-E-A-L-F-R-I-E-N-D-S. That's T-E-C-O. V-A-S dot com and point your toes west. Here's some stories about a show we made about a bunch of dogs and nurses and a janitor who loved to hate. I said, here's a story that you all should Hey, everybody. It's Zach here. Zach Braff, the co-host of Fake Doctors, Real Friends. Um, I'm sorry to report that we don't have a show for you this week, um, an original show, that is. We had planned to have the uh, co-directors of Seaspiracy on, um, but then we realized it was Mother's Day. Uh, we recorded the show uh, Sunday afternoons because Donald and I are both working. And, um, and Donald, being the good daddy that he is, had to, um, you know, spend time with the family and honor his queen, the Casey Cobb, and watch the kids so Casey could have some mom time and all of that. So recording uh, an episode became a little difficult. Um, so Joelle has curated an amazing uh, best of sort of thing for this week. And um, we will be back next Tuesday with the original episode with the co-directors of the documentary Seaspiracy, which you should check out um, so you can be current with the conversation. Uh, it's a fascinating documentary and um, it's become quite controversial and uh, I'm anxious and excited to, uh, to talk to the filmmakers about it because it really had an impact on me. And um, 
I just want to say thank you since I have a moment with Donald not here. You know, I can say um, anything I want. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you, Donald. Casey, what are your thoughts on me? Zach, I love you. I don't know if I'm allowed to use the soundboard without Donald present, but we're going to find out, okay? Because he's probably... Daniel, what are your thoughts? You honor me. Okay, I know. Um, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank all of you for uh, for your response to this podcast. We never could have imagined in a thousand years um, that people would like it so much. And I could never have fathomed how fun it would be. Um, I, I genuinely look forward to it every, every Sunday and uh, made such wonderful new friends, particularly, uh, obviously, Daniel and, and Joelle, two people that weren't in my life and uh, two people Donald and I have both grown quite fond of and uh, extraordinary human beings. And just looking back and, um, and sharing these stories with all of you and memories has been so special. I know I've said it before, but we never thought that so many people would be interested. So the fact that this has become quite a, a phenomenon across Earth um, is 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 mind blowing to us. But 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 please know from the bottom of our hearts that we really appreciate you and appreciate um, how special the show was to you and how much it it meant to you, and also how many of you have been emailing us or or I should say. DMing us or Instagramming us, uh, how much you like the show because we have a we get a lot of joy uh, bringing it to you. To all the mothers out there, I know this is belated because it's Tuesday, but I'm recording this on Sunday. Happy Mother's Day! I know it is very hard to be a mom, and um, I was blessed with a wonderful mom, and um, she made such a difference in my life. A great mom can shape who that child is for the rest of their lives. And my mom certainly did. And I feel so blessed. And I know how hard it is for you moms out there. Um, so here's me tipping my hat to you. And um, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. And lastly, thank you to all of you who checked out Percy vs. Goliath, um, the movie I made with Christopher Walken and Christina Ricci. I Again, we made that movie for very little money. It, it has... They haven't spent one cent on on marketing because uh, they didn't really have one cent to spend. And uh, I, I'm just so surprised and honored. Uh, uh, there you go, Daniel. You honor me. Yeah, I you guys honored me by by um, by collectively making it number two on iTunes. I mean, for for a while there, it was second to Nomadland, which is pretty crazy for a movie that um, has no ads, no billboards, no any no commercials, nothing. Um, I think it's a testament to uh, the job that uh, that Clark Johnson did. For those of you, a little trivia, the director is the director who directed the pilot of The Wire. Uh, that's how talented Mr. Mr. Clark Johnson is. Um, all right, I'm rambling. If you hadn't got a chance to check out Percy vs. Goliath, please do. And um, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are so grateful for you. Please be patient with us. Um, Again, you guys uh, and we all got used to us doing this during the pandemic, but now that we're both back to work, it is a little tricky to schedule with with our busy schedules. I'm doing Cheaper by the Dozen, and he's been doing Powerpuff Girls. And um, But make no mistake, we love doing this, and we're going to keep bringing it to you. And um, And that's it. Okay, Casey, do you have any last thoughts? Zach, I love you. I get it, girl, but calm down, okay? Donald's not here, and it's getting a little weird. 
What you trying to get into? What day or soon? What you trying to do? I could literally just sit here for an hour and a half and ramble like this, um, but you guys would probably get bored. Um, without further ado, here is Joelle. Thanks, Zach. Hi, everybody. Um, first, I want to apologize if you can hear birds or water dripping. My window is stuck, so this is the best I can do. But I'm so happy to be back with another clip show. Um, you guys sent in a lot of great suggestions on my Twitter page, and I really appreciate it. So we're going to do two clip shows this week. Our first one is celebrity guest stories about the industry. We've had so many great people come in and tell us all of these great behind the scenes how to's basically how to better audition how the pros do it how to make sure you're on set so that you don't accidentally get cut from an improv movie by Oliver Stone how to uplift your castmates by buying them a puppy and we're going to share all of those stories with you here today i wanted to start with one of our favorite guests one mr john c mcginley now Johnny C came back on in season two, and if you guys remember, we had a bit of a flub where we were supposed to have him on for 209, but he came on for 210, and it was Johnny C. When the man opens his mouth, greatness pours out. Not is he just a talented actor, a wonderful writer, he's also a great orator. And it begins with Zach asking, have you ever had a director really push you? All the way to Donald saying, have you ever been so late that you lost a day of shooting? And in between there, we get all these wonderful moments from Johnny C about being in a movie and a play at the same time. And whether you let your understudy go up or if that's bad luck. And then, of course, his wonderful advice about Platoon. So without further ado, here's Johnny C. Take it away. You know what I mean? Wait, I have a question for you guys as both a uh, actor and a director. I wish as an actor, I would have had more directors push me to be better. I oh God, feel like here. I feel like throughout my career, there have been a few, but mostly it's been about stand here. The camera's going to come here. Do you want to go again? Because maybe you should be a little angrier as opposed to like taking me in the corner and being Absolutely. like, here, I want to put a fucking thought in your head. And I wonder, Johnny, because you're, you can be an intimidating fellow. I wonder, did Mangold, was he able to, to, to do that to you? Did he, I mean, Oliver Stone, you've worked with, I mean, you've worked with Fincher, you've worked with the legends of the world. Have these guys been able to, to do that to you? Have, have, have they done that to you? And well, of course, Oliver's, Donald, I want to know your answer too, but I, you know, we'll start with uh, Oliver's Oliver's school of directing uh, comes with consequences. And so if, you, if you're doing something that's not, um, isn't necessarily what Oliver had in mind. He'll yell from Video Village, which is a, an area away from the set where the director and the and the and the people who are producing the film are watching it. He'll yell from Video Village, McKinley, walk with me, and that just means uh, you're going to go for a walk, and then he tells you that you're subverting my vision and you're fucking me. Really? And you're like, oh, God. He did it in the Philippines. He did it, it, it down in on Wall Street. He did it. He does it everywhere. You're fucking me. You're better when you... I always read actors for him. And he goes, you're better when you were reading the actors. But now you're fucking me. And you're like... Oh, my God. 
Oh my god! Horrifying. How do you not the, get it? How do you then not spiral, Johnny? Because I feel like there's a fine line between taking you in the corner and, and being and being constructive and being like, "You got this, man." But I want you to dig deep and do this, and being like, "You're fucking me." I can't imagine. I would be so spiraling in my head. I, I don't know. I guess it all started in the Philippines, and I just wasn't gonna. There was nowhere to go. We were ten thousand miles from home, and so I guess you got to rally. I don't fucking know. And the opposite did, of did that you is, tell me this? Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. The opposite of that is Catherine Bigelow on on Point Break. You know, we did that opening. Fucking great movie, Johnny. Great fucking minute. movie, Johnny. Remember when great it was the fucking movie? Those uh, one of those steady cams. They used to weigh about eight, 80 pounds, and all the big Aussie guys used to be the operators. And in the beginning of that film, there's about a five or six walk, minute walk and talk where Keanu and I are doing all the expository who, what, where, when, how for the whole movie. We're just just spewing, spewing. I don't stop talking. And and we did it 36 times. I think she printed like four, 18, and, and 36. And of course, four was the one that was in the movie. And it's just a wonder. And it's just, Scrubs made it look second nature because we did those. But at the time when we were doing it, it was a big deal. And, you know, all the way through the bowels of the FBI with this, with this Steadicam. And Catherine would just come over and uh, she's the single most supportive person in the history of the planet. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line was we're going again. (laughs) She would never say anything to you. She would never say anything. Uh, No, she's just the greatest. She's like, you're you're crushing this. You're crushing this. I'm like, well, and I always know when we have it. I swear to God. What about you, Donald? Like when you worked with like Boaz or, or did, 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 did they give you, did you ever get like tough direction, but also that like made you dig deeper? Um, yeah, you know, uh, Boaz was, a was very much a, we're going to rehearse, uh, and we would, we would rehearse and he wouldn't necessarily be there, but he would come and check it out, but he would be like, you guys go rehearse, you know, rehearse amongst yourselves and stuff. Uh, and then when we would do the scene, he'd be like, okay, yeah, that's great. Is there anything you want to add to it? Um, I'm trying to think of if there were, I've had directors, I don't want to say their names. I've had directors be like, you know. Uh, you stumbled on that line. There goes your close up. I've had shit like that Ooh, happen before. Oh, yeah. fuck you! That's not going to help anybody. You know, uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, and, you have to find uh, a way to to to. I mean, my goal when I'm directing someone is all I want is for for you to be great. How can I support that? Uh, part of it for me is creating an environment on the set. You know, Scrubs is the ultimate example. We had an environment that was so safe to experiment and to be, yeah. and to and to fuck up and. It was you felt so safe. You felt the net under under the under the tightrope, if you will. Um, so I, when I'm making my projects, I try and get, create that environment again, where where you're safe. Like there's no wrong answer. Let's play because I think that puts actors in in a good headspace. Um, but I'm also making things so fast. You know, I'm every the three films I've made, I have to go so fast. Yeah. There isn't a whole lot of time to do like what Oliver Stone can do in the Philippines and be like, Johnny, let's walk. <laughs> if my producers, if I ever walk said to someone me. like, Natalie, let's walk, everyone would look at me like, what the fuck are you doing? We have a half hour left for the day. <laughs> that truly walk, is a luxury, man. It That's is a, luxury. a luxury. I hear stories about actors and directors going on like 45 minute walks while the crew waits, yeah. sometimes two hour walks while the crew waits. Yeah. And then they come back and the scene's different. Now we're going to relight it a different way. I've heard crazy ass stories about how, you know, how uh, ego gets in the way of making movies. And stuff like I that. I heard stories from um, that movie. Uh, what's the 
well, I, I should probably shouldn't call out what the movie is, but I heard stories of a movie star showing up. My friend was shooting the movie, and he said, you wouldn't believe what was going on. Like, the, the movie star would show up and be like, all right, well, we're obviously not saying any of this, so should we go talk about it? Whoa. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, so they would then go on, like, long, uh, like, a, like, a, like a minivan ride and, like, rewrite the day's work. And that's how the day would start. I mean, that have, gives me anxiety even saying it out have, loud. Have you guys ever, like, this, it's happened once in my life. Zach, I know when it's happened with you. Johnny, have you ever been so late in any way that you've uh, caused a day? Well, not a day, but you caused uh, a morning, I should say. We had a scrap. The director, like, not a, like not, not I've been, a, I've been not so, a I've been chance. Not Johnny, a fucking chance. We're not, we're not. Johnny's not late ever. Johnny's early. Johnny gets okay. there at five in the morning and then goes back to sleep. That, that would <laughs> never happen, right? Never happened. That what happened to do? me. That happened to me once. Zach, I remember when it happened to you, but it happened. Well, mine to me. was an alarm clock malfunction. But go ahead. Bullshit. But anyway, um, I told the story on the podcast. Did I ever tell you the Henry Winkler story? No, please go on. Okay. So I was doing Clueless, the television show at the time, right? And Henry Winkler's directing the next day. It's Sunday night. He's directing on Monday. Um, And I'm geeked about it, but I also, I'm 20 something years old and I live with a bunch of dudes, right? It's me, my buddies, it's me and literally three other dudes living in the house together and on sunday nights i don't know where it was i think freaking like uh uh joseph's or 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 some shit like that was going off you're at the The club was going off right and so we went out and i didn't get home until like four in the morning smashed and hammered and uh i pass out my call times at 6 a.m i'm doing clueless at the time i wake up and it's 6 30 and i'm like oh shit Oh, Henry gosh. Winkler's directing. So I throw on clothes and I, you know, jet to work. I get there. I put on my costume is all in my, my trailer and everything. I throw on all my shit. And as I'm throwing it on, I can smell my breath and I still smell the booze on my breath. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is going to be horrible. This is going to be horrible. So I run out of my trailer and I'm starting. I'm jetting to set. And as I come around the corner, we were filming on the Paramount lot. And so you have to pass through the big Paramount gates, right? So I come running through the gate uh, toward the set. And Henry Winkler sees me, stands up. And it looked like he said to whoever the producer was or the writer was. He was like, that's him? Yeah, that's him? Okay. And he starts oh walking towards me. Oh, shit. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, shit. Holy shit. You fucking oh, let down the Fonz, bro. That was the first thing I'm thinking. Not only the fuck, forget, forget the cast and the crew and everything like that. Fucking Henry Winkler, the legend that he is, is right. about to fucking give me the business and I'm right. going to fucking eat it, right? And so he comes up to me and I take a deep breath to not breathe out so he can't smell this booze on me. Like, <laughs> right? And he goes, listen, we're not going to do this, okay? I don't, wanna, I don't want any shit from you. Okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna fucking do this. What we're gonna do is we're gonna go over there. We're gonna do the scene. Okay, we're gonna go over there. We're gonna do the scene. And I could tell he wanted to freaking give me the business, but he was like, "I don't know you. I don't want to disrespect you." And I I could I, I I'm pretty sure you don't want to try and disrespect me or anything like that. But come over here and give me your best, right? And it was just it was just like when we did the dance scene on Scrubs, where I where I'm doing the um dance to poison yeah. and i hadn't rehearsed it or anything like that and i just went in there and i did the dance right. because part of it was because i was afraid for my life that bill was going to be like you know uh that's it you're fired so it was almost the same thing like 
I'm dancing on a table in the scene and I jump off the table into a split, right? <laughs> in rehearsal, I do the shit. Jesus because I'm so – look, I, I, the last thing I wanted was to let down – you know, the fonts. And then when I get over there and I see Stacy Dash and Elisa Donovan and my boy Sean Holland and the crew and all of these guys looking at me uh and and uh you know giving me the face like I can't believe you fucking let down the fonts. And it was like, all right, well I'm gonna give you guys a show. And I did and you know, my my, my ever, point is Did he ever take you aside and have a talk with you? That was a talk. It was a quick it was one of those things where it was like I I'm gonna come off like the boss right now. And the humbling thing is, is that I'm over here and I'm talking to you about this, but you know better than this. I shouldn't have to have this conversation with you ever. Mm. Uh, he, he didn't have to say to me, get your shit together. But it was all in the, I'm not having this conversation with you. You're way smarter than this. You know better than this bullshit. Let's get over here. Let's do the scene and let's make it right. Yeah. And I freaked And then he fucking quit. hit a jukebox. Donald, did you ever uh, almost forget your lines when you were doing that play you did recently? Yeah, you know, I had one thing where it was like a bunch of math and stuff like that. And the math didn't have to make sense, but it had to be quick. Uh, And uh, one night, I I, I didn't forget the line. I misspoke. And I said, oh, excuse me, in it. And then I kept going. And then after I went it kind of threw the rhythm off for the show for the whole night because I said one line, you know what I mean? Mm. And, it, and, and it, it, it really is a lesson that when you're doing a show, there's a rhythm to it all, you know what I mean? And if you stick to the rhythm every time, most likely you're going to get a great performance. If you find the 100%. right formula and you stick to the rhythm every time and you stick to the formula every time, it's going to be a good show, you know what mm. I mean? Yeah, yeah. And just by me saying, excuse me, it kind of fucked up the rhythm and cues all of a sudden were a little bit late. And you know what I mean? And it was my fault. You know what I mean? And it was just because I said, excuse me. I, I could always tell with, with uh, when we were doing uh, Scrubs and especially after about 12 episodes in from 12 episodes on, I could always tell whether or not Billy had Billy Lawrence had done a pass on Cox because he, he had written and I had, adopted this kind of (laughs) Martin Scorsese on heroin syncopation for Cox. And I also sometimes when I was bored, I would start to play with the language a little bit, which was irresponsible, but I I get bored sometimes. And uh, if Billy hadn't done a pass, I couldn't memorize the lines because they were written out of rhythm. And Donald, I'm just borrowing from what you said, Mm. but Billy would do a pass on Cox. I'd be down in my rehearsal space killing myself trying to remember these disconnected fucking rants that somebody wrote and then i and i couldn't get them and then billy would do a pass and something as as much as donald you even saying excuse me that was out and then boom the flow and the rhythm and i could come in and i could i could do it in latin but i until billy did a pass because i'd get in there and i had the hissy fit and i'd say has billy done a fucking pass on this thing yet and they're like, no, you hadn't seen it. I'm like, well, don't, don't fucking send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> would that happen? You'd get sent it and memorize it, and then it would all be changed? You must have fucking gotten livid. Every Monday morning. <laughs> so I'd did be, you talk I'd, to I'd Bill? Be, you must have talked to Bill eventually and said, dude, you got to fuck. You can't do that to me. Of course I did. But Billy was spinning as many plates as he, you know, one character among an ensemble of badass seven or eight of you. and. You know, you 
you try to get Billy's attention and you can't, can't always do it. I would go so nuts. I mean, for those of you who don't memorize for a living, it's easier for some than others. But these chunks that Johnny had to memorize in a short span of time is, is really hard because he has to say them so fast as he did so well. But the idea of spending a weekend memorizing that and then getting Woo! to work and there's a rewrite. <laughs> that's shit. Yeah. Dude, that's why you must have my stomach. It. Even saying that, I get a knot in my stomach. That's why you must have loved it when he had no when he had no choice but to go with what was written because we didn't have scripts. And so he'd be like, yo, look, here's here's what we're gonna say right now. And he would write it while we were doing rehearsals and shit. And then he would hand it to you and you'd be like, bet, no problem. Because he wrote it. It was in Cox's rhythm. Right. It was in that, that, whatever that syncopation Billy came up with, it was in that. And I could groove into it. But memorization is like a muscle, Johnny, I think. And you no really, question. And you really had yours developed well. I think, you know, yeah. when, I've, when I've just finished a play, like I did Romeo and Romeo and Juliet when I was fresh out of school and another one of my early roles. And I mean, basically, the second you start talking, you don't stop talking for two and a half hours. And I the, even th thinking about it now, I get anxious. Uh, this many years later, this was probably to, you know, 1998. But um, but but by the time the play was over, that muscle was so developed, I could just Absolutely. crush it. And I feel like as Cox, you had to do it so on the regular that you really just ha you must have had it so dialed. Like now, now that might be harder for you because you're not memorizing monologues every week. Hundred percent, a hundred percent. I was doing I, uh, when I was doing um, uh, bullets over Broadway. Um, we were in previews, and um, when, when you're in previews, that for those of you who aren't don't know that that means that the, the critics haven't come yet. You're still working out the play. You're still you know, the, the the writer and the director. They're changing things all the time. And then after opening night, then then the show is locked. So we're in previews, and, and Woody Allen, who wrote the play, is in the back of the the audience, and, and he's there. And he's when a joke doesn't work, he would he would give it come the next day and give us a new joke to try that night. But sometimes that was really hard because you had the whole play memorized, and he would just hand you a slip oh, of paper, God. and he'd be like, "Here, just just try this tonight." And you're like, "Try it where? Where?" And you're like reading the paper and like scribbled handwriting, like, "Try this where? Where does it go?" Like, and then he and you'd figure it out. And then sometimes in the heat of the adrenaline of doing a show in front of 1500 people you'd forget and i there was one time i skipped the new joke he wanted me to do and uh, i saw him the next day and i said woody i'm, I'm really sorry I, I got a little frazzled and i i didn't even try the new joke he wanted me to try he goes yeah you you'd probably get a bigger laugh if you actually say it on stage <laughs> 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 Johnny, will you tell that story um, that I love that you told me once about Platoon where you said um, you were all hanging by the pool when you realized that you weren't going to be in the movie? So because the conditions in the Philippines were so tense and so fluid, uh, and we were in something called a triple, and they were fluid because there had just been a revolution. A guy named Ferdinand Marcos had lost an election to a woman named Cory Aquino. And Marcos wouldn't leave until President Reagan, the president at the time, gave him political asylum in Hawaii. So we should, that's why we were postponed. I left, I was doing um, Hamlet with Kevin Klein at the public and about a week into rehearsal, Oliver calls after the, I'd been cast in the film a year and a half earlier and then the money went away. 
And he called me, he goes, McKinley, do you want to play the fourth lead? I'm like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's Oliver Stone. Do you want to go to the Philippines? And I'm like, I would love to go to the Philippines, but I'm doing, I'm playing third guy on the left in, in Hamlet with Kevin Klein over at the public. And he goes, tell, tell Joe Papp that, that, that it's me. I'm like, oh, sure. I'm going to go talk to Mr. Papp and call him Joe. You know, it was like the Wizard of fucking Oz. And so uh, Rosemary Tischler, who was the casting person over at the public at the time, and a friend of mine from NYU, she came in and taught an audition class to us. And she's one of the great, great women ever. And I, I called Rosemary. I went to see her. And I said, uh, I, I got offered this movie. It's in the Philippines. And it would mean, mean, would mean me leaving rehearsal. But... And just like anybody in New York, it'd be like crossing Johnny Friendly and on the waterfront. If she said, if you go do this film, you'll never work here again. I would not have gone and done the film. Neither would any, anybody in New York. Because once you get in that fraternity slash sorority yeah, it's very over at the Shakespeare Festival, that you stay. You keep doing plays. And yeah. Rosemary said, well, uh, you're fine with me, but you're going to have to go see Joe. And I'm like, everybody stop calling him Joe. <laughs> and so... I go in and he was, you know, he had a burner and he was this guy. He always, it was way in the back of his fucking throat. And so, you know, I'm, I'm knocking like I'm going to see the wizard and the wizard of Oz. And he goes, come in, Matt, come in. And so I go to see Mr. Pat and I told him my story. And he goes, go, we'll do Hamlet again when you get back. And I was just like, I'm fucking crying even thinking right. about this story. I'm so happy they didn't prevent you from going. That would have been horrible. And so I go back. I was living in the funeral parlor at the time, one the, the Nutrioni funeral parlor. And so I go up five stories, and I'm there. And a, a week or so after I, I removed myself from Hamlet, there's a fucking revolution in the Philippines because this guy, Marcos, won't leave. And so we get postponed for months and months and months. And the play opens, and you know, Vincent Canby calls it the most important Hamlet on these shores. Uh, <laughs> I'm sitting in the funeral parlor going like, Oh my oh God, God. God, I hate my life. I hate my life. And finally, we, we get the green light to go because the revolution had, had subsided a, a little bit, but, but not that much. And so, uh, and in the meantime, this language had come out, a bunch of actors in New York, about five or six of them circulated this language because we were going to go through this two and a half, three week boot camp. that if you got hurt in boot camp, um, you, you'd, you'd get to do the film. And Oliver's like, no, if you get hurt in boot camp, you you get rotated out. You can't be a, a soldier oh, with a broken arm. No. And so I didn't sign it. And the five people who did uh, didn't go to the Philippines. And so I finally get there and only to come to find out that it's a very tricky place. We're shooting in this triple canopy jungle, which meant there was vegetation at 10 feet, another vegetation at 20 feet and then these monstrous trees at 50 feet. So it was very dark and, and swampy underneath these, these three canopies of, of flora. And we're shooting and there was no shot list because uh, Oliver had to change things every day and on the fly, which he did brilliantly. But the whole, there was three squads of eight. So there was 24 of us and every day everybody was called to the set. And sometimes you just sat there all day because you, you're not in the scene. You, you're not in the scene. And so it was about a two-hour bus ride out to the place, and then you'd sit, and you weren't in the scene, then it's two hours back. And so this happened for a couple of weeks. And so Forrest Whitaker and uh, Johnny Depp and I uh, asked Oliver that if we weren't in going to be shooting that day, could we stay at the hotel? And he acquiesced. And so 
we're finally sitting by the pool and we got what we wanted. And Forrest, I don't do a good Forrest imitation, but Forrest comes over to Johnny and he goes, you, you ever get the feeling that while we're here, we're not in the movie? <laughs> we all started going back to the set every day. <laughs> and Oliver would put us, Oliver would put us on this mountain about a mile out of the frame. And we, and you weren't even a speck. And he, you'd be back there and we started calling it power background. And so guys were doing their best Brando a mile up a mountain. <laughs> and we called it power background. I just love it. All- I just, I just love that you guys were like, all right, fuck this. We're not going to sit in the jungle. We're going to go sit by the pool. And right. then, and then it's like you, you, Forrest Whitaker and Johnny Depp sitting there on your lounge, on your lounge chairs with a, with a, with a cocktail. And then all of a sudden someone has the realization, you know, He's probably just improv imp- improvising this movie, and we're sitting here at the pool. He was <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Forrest, Forrest said, "I wish I could do a Forrest imitation," but he was like, "If we're here, we ain't in the movie." <laughs> and he was right as rain. God, that Johnny C is a legend. Can I rant for a second? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some random hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized that people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. That's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC terms apply. Kind is calling all flavor chasers. Hey, it's Zach here, and Kind has six new flavors for whatever you crave. Is it something sweet? Try the new seeds, fruit, and nuts bars with flavors like dark chocolate, raspberry, and pumpkin seed. They're made with sweet raspberries and cranberries. And the number one ingredient, seeds. And for something savory, Kind has you covered. Try their roasted nuts and jalapeno bars. Or grab the rosemary nuts and sea salt bars. Savory snacking has never been this delicious. I know your mouth is watering. I personally love the raspberry. Mmm, Donald, let me tell you, I could eat 10 of those a day. Oh, really? Rosemary's mine. All six new bars are gluten-free and have at least five grams of protein. Kind always leads with nutrient-dense ingredients like nuts. Explore all the new flavors waiting for you, like strawberry sunflower seed, orange cranberry pumpkin seed, and paprika nuts and mesquite smoked sea salt. This is the bar for people who love real food. Try all the new flavors of Kind Seeds, Fruit and Nuts bars, and Kind Savory bars. Shop on Amazon today. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. 
join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of legends, for very obvious reasons, Heather Graham was one of our most listened to guests. And it was such an honor to have her on the podcast. Yes, she's glowing. Yes, she's funny. But she's also very kind. And one of my favorite insights she left us with was the joy, despair, and encouragement that can happen when one is auditioning. Auditioning is one of the most difficult aspects of an actor's career. You get one chance to get it right. One chance to potentially change your life. And hearing the guys talk about how they used to daydream about what they do with their new casting money. And, you know, also the downfalls of walking out of a room when the actor killed it. It's a lot of fun. So without further ado, here's Heather Graham telling us some of her favorite audition stories. That's the thing. It's the hardest thing to be in a moment for these auditions. Like you, you get the audition and you're like, I'm so excited to audition for this. You look at the sides and then all of a sudden your head... Your mind wanders off into all the things that you're going to do after you get the part. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. After I get this part, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to – what I'm going to do with this money? I'm going I'm to get me – I'm going to get – shit, my girl going to get a – I'm going to get her a Rolex. You think about all of the things you're going <laughs> to do with this money and all of the fame that's going to come with this part before you even get it. And Maybe then you go on you the audition. It. Maybe it helps you get it. It never helps because you go on the audition and when you walk out, you're like, well – I guess I got to wait for the next audition to get that oh, role. No. You know what I mean? Like, it's the worst, man. I, like, I always do that. The one, the auditions that I do great on are the ones where I'm like, I don't give a fuck, man. I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to do whatever the fuck it is I do, and I'm going to leave. And I'm not yeah. going to talk. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to try and wow anybody with the freaking what I've been doing in my off time. Fuck that shit. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to fucking do the audition, and I'm going to leave. Yeah, and those are the ones where I usually get. Heather, do you still audition for things occasionally? Well, that's what I was wondering. You know, I feel like you know when we were auditioning for things, like I just feel like people don't audition in person anymore. Now I feel like everyone has to send a tape if you ever do. Like, do you you guys ever audition in person anymore? Um, Well, no, well, not during COVID, but but before COVID, occasionally, Heather, when it was like when it was like a super fancy director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, by the way, the director wouldn't necessarily be there. It was like some mega A list director, but they're interested. They want you to go in. And if it was someone yeah. I'm dying to work with, I, I would do it. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, same. I, I actually think I actually think it's better though, Heather, because you have more. Really, it's a self tape. Well, don't get me wrong. It's great to go in the room and, and meet the director and shoot the shit and and see if you have a connection. Um, yeah. But I do think a self tape you can at least shape and and practice and, yeah, and only true. send the best one. Right. But I think some people might be surprised that you know, no matter even when you've had success in this business. You still have to go out and campaign to get parts. Auditioning um, is terrifying. It really is. It's the hardest thing on the planet when it, it comes is. to yeah. That's the hardest thing in acting. Forget yeah, the part. Is. Forget doing the role. Forget all of the other stuff. Forget everything that comes after you get the part or before you get the part. The audition is – that's the toughest thing to do. You only it's get harder one than doing the role for sure. Than doing the yeah. actual role. Yeah. You only get it's one shot to nail it. Yeah. You get one shot. And if you're lucky, the director says, I like that. Let's try it again this way. And usually when that happens, that doesn't necessarily mean you got the role. That just means your uh, preparation wasn't what the director saw. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it's the, it's the hardest thing ever. And so to get roles and I, I'm always, I'm always so appreciative that an audition was all it t- was what it took for me to you know you liked what I did in the room you're gonna love what I do when I when when the camera's rolling then right. that's the case it does feel like a, so there's no better. other way to really yeah. do it but 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 it does feel like a, not a great test for how well you're gonna be on set because you're coming in with all this adrenaline you're coming in with nerves you're doing it in front of however many random people and so it's not it's 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 a bit like an obstacle course you know what I mean like you have to like yeah. do it now under pressure go. But yeah. God, there, God, there's such a high though when when you know you killed it and they know you killed it and there's like yeah, there's- it is amazing. It's crazy in the waiting room too though when you see other the other people that are, are auditioning, you know, and if, they're, if you that. know them or yeah, it's and very people weird. play mind games too. I remember back in the day, <laughs> like all these people would be like, I, I really was aware of the psychology of the waiting room, how people would try and distract you, how people would you know start conversation with you, like they knew you were going next, so they would like try and. Keep, take your mind off of learning the, or, you know, working on the lines. And no, I just remember this one kid. Uh, we were, we were, I was up for this part and he came out of the, the room and he was swiping away his tears. And he's like, break a leg, guys. And um, we all looked at each other, like flipping through the sides, like, where's the fucking crying scene? <laughs> <laughs> and this dude, I, I, I got to know him and he could just cry on cue. And so he would just put it into any audition to show off that he could like cry, even if the scene didn't call for it, because he thought it was like going to blow their minds. Yeah, and, uh, you know. and I remember I asked him once, I go, so you're just crying in like every audition? He's like, yeah, I tried to just to like show him what I can do. And. And I was like, wow, um, okay, well, what do you, how do you do that? He goes, I just think of anyone doing anything bad to animals. Aww. And I was like, okay. You know what? Okay, <laughs> waiting in the waiting room when you hear someone else killing is also sucks, right? When you're waiting and you can hear that person who's in there is like just killing and everyone loves them, that's also horrible. But don't you also remember those times when you're in there and you hear someone go and they're like, and they suck and you're like, yes, I'm better than that. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Next, we have Sarah Chalk. Now, Sarah Chalk is an icon, a legend. You know her. You love her. Perhaps, if not from Scrubs, you know, her incredible performance as the mom on Rick and Morty. Listen, getting to meet her has clearly been the highlight of being on this show because it's rare that 
the people you idolize are as kind and sweet and generous with their time as Miss Sarah Chalk is. So we so appreciate her. And when she came on in season three, I think this is her third visit to the podcast. So it's all to have by now. She'd figured out the technology. She finally gotten a soundproof boost. So her audio crisp and clear and we love her and she shared one of my favorite stories that's ever been shared on the podcast about a group of people who love you coming together to make sure you get a dog okay vital and if you know anything about me you know i similarly experienced the same thing zach wanted me to have a puppy and now i have lions what a gift uh so here's sarah chog talking about how she got her dog cowboy switches and her love of this cast enjoy this is the episode that Frick started. Yeah, two forty three. Everybody, um, uh, the very first Frick. Sarah, what's the genesis of Frick? I wish I remembered. I don't remember. You didn't I don't make know. It up. I, I don't remember. I don't know if it was me or Bill. And then it, it then it developed. It went to double Frick, and then Frick on a stick with a brick. <laughs> um, no, it was Frick and, uh, double Frick Frick on a stick. Frick on a stick Frick with a brick. Frick on a stick with a brick. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, it became one of Sarah's catchphrases. She finally got her What You Talking About, Willis. And I got, she got it in frick. season three. Season f- yes. season three, she got her Frick. I didn't get a Boxster, but I got a Frick. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot but less I expensive did, to give you a Frick. I did get that pink cashmere juicy jogger set that I wore in that Frick scene. I remember they let me take that home. Oh, yeah, girl. Do you get remember that. Juicy, y'all? Do you remember, uh, remember Juicy? Yeah. Juicy That was, was a great. pink they cashmere juicy too. jogger set. I used I to have juicy, uh, juicy uh, cashmere. Yeah, <laughs> man, juicy with the jam. Everybody had, to, and it was sweatsuits. It was a bunch of sweatsuits, and everybody was paying like two hundred, three hundred dollars for a sweatsuit. Yeah, juicy. They figured it out, juicy. Um, so you know, Frick comes from you can't you know on, on TV shows and network, you're always trying to work around places where you'd actually curse. Some shows like do it and beep it. Uh, which, which I guess is easier if you're more documentary style, like like The Office or or Modern Family or something. Um, some shows, uh, uh, The Good Place, very creatively um, made it fork because they were in like this supposedly in this like heaven type setting where where it just automatically changes all your mm. curses to to better words. But uh, so so Frick allowed Sarah to say fuck without saying fuck. There's one more. There's one more place that they changed the word, and so you wouldn't say fuck. And that was Battlestar Galactica, and they said frack, mm-hmm. and that became. Are you fracking? Kidding me? Are you fracking? Kidding me right now? But did they never explain it, or they just just did it? They just did it for the whole the whole run of the show. It would be like, what the frack are you talking about? Uh, oh, frack! I'm gonna frack you up. You can say friggin', um, which I always thought was, a, was which was a comfortable alternative. Yeah, but it some people have, don't like friggin'. It doesn't have the power that fuck has or frick, frick mm-hmm. or frick has. Yeah, you need the K. Or, you need the K. Yeah. Frick. Yeah. You know that um, to make a movie PG thirteen, uh, you, you're allowed one fuck in a PG thirteen movie, and it can't be a sexual fuck. You can't be like, oh, I want to fuck her, but you can be like, what the fuck? Oh, I didn't know that. A little trivia for you. So you have to pick your fuck. If you're if you're directing a PG thirteen movie, they're like, all right, pick your fuck. What do you want? And then next rating, you can do R. You can say whatever you want. Say whatever you want. want. Yeah. Okay. Also, there's some. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm trying to think of the other. uh, Oh, PG thirteen rules. They've probably changed. It used to be like um, obviously sex, um, but there were some other other ones. I forgot drug use. Maybe I don't know. All right. Go ahead, Donald. 
Uh, Kelso's nose squeaks the entire Wait, episode. Before we get to Kelso's nose, what about Sarah losing her car door? I mean, that was hilarious. Well, that was hilarious. Right, the first... <laughs> <laughs> and then carrying it around the hospital with me so it doesn't get right. stolen. Now, this is something that this is something that goes on. This joke uh, continues through other episodes because you you later on have like a taxi cab door, like a yellow yeah. door a yellow on door. your car, and everything like that. So yes, this is a joke right. that continues. With your brand new card. Am I right or am I wrong? Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I think that's right. Yeah, she she didn't get the matching colored door. She just got uh, – it was the same door, door for her car, but it was yellow. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Hilarious. Um, yeah, so that I thought that was very funny. Um, and then – yeah, so sorry, Donald. Go to, go to Kelso's squeaky nose, which is yeah, very funny. For the whole episode, uh, Kelso has a squeaky nose because of the punch he received from Dr. Cox. And that shit is a lot. Yo, every time Ken would uh, inhale, it, it would squeak. It's only yeah. on the inhale, though. It's not on the exhale. It's only on the inhale. <laughs> so every time he inhale, it would be a... I love how people hate him so much that even though the room was packed, he's like, miraculously, no one was saw right. it. <laughs> no one saw and me. And then Sammy. <laughs> Sammy in the background going like, so what, yeah, what celebrating. Fist bumping. Um, now, my dive under the gurney. I replayed it a few times because I thought it was a cowboy switch. Same. I, I, I couldn't figure out if it was or not. I, I watched it for the sure same reason. I was like, was that a cowboy switch? switch? I feel like it was. I feel like you came running up in the hallway and like from the back. Then it was cowboy switch, and then you popped up. I know, right? but it was so seamless. It was that, so good. That, that, so for those of you who don't remember, a cowboy switch is when the actor who's not a stuntman is hiding – and the stuntman does something insane and then kind of goes off camera and then the real actor pops up. So JD does this insane sort of slide under a gurney and then I pop up. I'm pretty I'm like I'm I'm pretty sure it's a cowboy switch, but man, it is seamless. You cannot tell. It's so like the timing of me coming yeah. up was so it's perfect. Crazy. It's over and you I mean you did always for the most part try your own falls always. So it's very possible. I did I, mean, I did I did a lot of them, but when when it when when you know, the thing about a stuntman is there is – when there's a real chance like, okay, you could get hurt doing this one. Like like yeah. when I exit the room, that's clearly a stuntman. That's not he, you, yeah. He takes a really hard fall on the gurney tipping over. So you don't want your actors breaking anything because then you can't fucking make the show. So a lot of these actors uh, – also stunt people often don't get paid. Well, they get like one rate to show up, but then often they won't get more money unless they do the thing. So sometimes I feel for stunt people who right. are like, oh, come on. I, you, I know you want to show off and do it yourself, but let me fucking do the stunt. And, uh, and, right. and so I, I often tried to do them, but, but, but some of them where I could like break a hand, they were like, no, you're not doing that. I would still even not do my own stunts come once a season to scrubs on crutches with having torn the ligaments in my left ankle. I think it was about once a year. And I'd be like, Randall. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, so they would like they would have me like standing behind the beside the bed and standing in a lot of scenes and not walking Wait, how for many, like a week. How many, how many times did you get injured making this show? I feel like it was it was always my ankle and it was never doing anything fabulous. I would come to set and people like, "How'd you do?" And I'd be like, "I was walking Lola and I tripped on a pine cone off the sidewalk." And then it was yeah, it was it, it was basically the first time I did it. I was in college and my leg was crossed and my foot fell asleep. And I was in like a 500-person lecture hall, and I got up to ask the professor a question, and I went down on – like I went over my ankle. I rolled my ankle, and it swelled up to the size of a grapefruit, and they x-rayed it, and I was 19 years old, and I had a, a growth plate that hadn't 
clothes because I hadn't finished growing, but they thought it was a hairline fracture. So they, by mistake, put me into a plaster cast up to my knee. And I went to go film an episode of The Roseanne Show, and she was like, Roseanne was like, it doesn't make sense you would have that. Get that taken off. And so (laughs) I did. Even though, like, that's like a kid who has, like, you know, a— Potentially so Roseanne was like, I don't oh give a fuck what's wrong. Take that cast off. So, right. so they asked me to take the cast off. So I did. And the doctor down there was like, "You're, it's actually a blessing in disguise because this is like a growth plate that hasn't closed. It's not a hairline fracture. Your foot's not broken. You just sprained it really badly. And that's why it swole up so much. So Roseanne's um, coldness actually helped you. <laughs> it was it was such a – it was a gift, man. It's all for you. <laughs> Sarah, tell everyone who's listening about your $7,000 dog. And before you judge everyone, no, she didn't go buy some boutique, fancy, expensive dog. That was that was a big evening for us, too. What what was the evening? What were we doing? Where were it we? It was a charity. Sarah, do you remember what the cause was? It was the help group. It was for autism, with children with autism. And it was um, Jeff Zucker, who was the boss at NBC Who you at remember the time. that Donald uh, infamously gave the noogie to yes. at our first party? Please, Donald, no. Please, Donald, no. Uh, so we were there and we were excited. I think it was like season two, um, and season one or season two. And so we went and Jeff Zucker was our boss and the night was to honor him and his contribution to the help group as well. And so there was this little chocolate lab that they were having as part of the auction to raise money. And I, let me just pause there. Let me just pause there. Uh, Did they have one dog or several? It was just one. All right. So I, I, I recall it was an auction, obviously to raise money for, for, for autism. And they geniusly brought in this puppy that was the cutest chocolate lab puppy you've ever seen. It was like tiny. You, you, you could fit in your palm of your hands. And, and it was probably, I don't know, I'm guessing 10 weeks old. And the idea was, you know, we're going to, they wanted everyone, and they got everyone like buzzed on alcohol. And then the idea is like, all right, you're, who's, you guys are going to bid on who gets to take home this dog. And they brought, they brought her around, like you're saying, to, like, to get everybody super excited. They brought her around, and I was holding her, this little chocolate brown nugget. She was, yeah, she was, like, tiny. She was 10 weeks old. And I was wearing a chocolate brown dress, I remember. It was my, it was my bridesmaid's dress from my sister's <laughs> wedding. And, um, and uh, so I, I'm, I'm falling in love with this dog. And then the bidding starts in the room, and I'm bidding on her. And, and the whole—I fall in love with her, so is the restroom. Everyone's going crazy. Everyone's bidding on her. And so finally I just gave up because it was, it was insane. It got uh, too high. And then the whole cast around the table, you guys all whispered to each other. And then when the bidding came to right before the ending, you all, like, stood up and put your arms up and, and got her for me. And, and um, we all split the— we each gave a thousand dollars. Wait, hold on. Uh, how long? How long did it take for me to pay you the thousand dollars? Did you ever pay her? I did pay her. Okay. How long did I, it take? I, I don't remember. I don't remember. But it just was the most sweetest, thoughtful, touching thing ever. And she obviously like became our scrubs mascot and came to scrubs to work every day. And I loved her so much. She was very. I sweet. think I paid for Lola like season. Eight or nine. <laughs> I, I, I finally whenever, gave the money in. Like, I just remember <laughs> whenever we had group things to chip in on, like crew gifts or 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 getting a, getting something for the crew, or in this case, giving money to charity for Sarah's dog. Johnny C would pay you like an hour later. He'd be like, "Fast money makes fast friends." Hmm. <laughs> that was one of his Johnny oh Cisms. Be like, "Fast money makes fast friends." And then Ken Donald Jenkins was the polar thing. opposite. Donald would be like, eight years later, he'd be like, yo, did I ever pay you for the dog? <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember I was the one who I was so disorganized. I just would never cash the check. And Ken would be like, Sarah, you haven't cashed the oh, check yet. Oh, God, like, I, hate, I hate those people. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that was me. Um, so Lola, 
When you went into Sarah's Little. dressing room, I know we brought this up uh, another time, but it was like the it was like if you ever seen the show Hoarders, it was like that, but worse. It was like it was you sort of as believe. if this there was like a soup there was like an open soup can from two seasons ago and like <laughs> like just it, it looked like shit suddenly exploded. <laughs> it kind of is like as if then this paper is if this pages of notes was my dressing room. Right. As if if this kind of like rain. Don notes. So poor um, Ken Jenkins so, is trying to manage his checkbook, and Sarah just throws a check for a thousand dollars in there somewhere. <laughs> can of soup from two seasons ago is true. My nickname was Soup for Breakfast because I would always have soup all the time, and you guys would be like, "Oh, it's soup for breakfast." Mm. Um, soup for breakfast, Sarah. Chuck. I love I love soups. I mean, I have my hot tea right now. There's always something hot in my hands. It's like either soup or tea or something. Yeah, but that's because you um, run cold. That's only that's the only. I run cold. Yeah. A bad circulation. Cold. Um, this so is Lola the first. Lived she was fourteen. Oh, she died. Lola died. She did. Well, dude, she, she lived till she was fourteen. 14 years old. That's pretty darn good for a lab. It was. It's yeah, been over fourteen amazing. years, I guess. Huh? Holy shit! Wow. It's it's wow. been it's been twenty one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Kind is calling all flavor chasers. Hey, it's Zach here, and Kind has six new flavors for whatever you crave. Is it something sweet? Try the new seeds, fruit, and nuts bars with flavors like dark chocolate, raspberry, and pumpkin seed. They're made with sweet raspberries and cranberries. And the number one ingredient, seeds. And for something savory, Kind has you covered. Try their roasted nuts and jalapeno bars. Or grab the rosemary nuts and sea salt bars. Savory snacking has never been this delicious. I know your mouth is watering. I personally love the raspberry. Mmm, mmm, Donald. Let me tell you, I could eat 10 of those a day. Oh, really? Rosemary's mine. All six new bars are gluten-free and have at least five grams of protein. Kind always leads with nutrient-dense ingredients like nuts. Explore all the new flavors waiting for you, like strawberry sunflower seed, orange cranberry pumpkin seed, and paprika nuts and mesquite smoked sea salt. This is the bar for people who love real food. Try all the new flavors of Kind Seeds, Fruit and Nuts Bars, and Kind Savory Bars. Shop on KindSnacks.com today. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure... It kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) 
What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return, your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sarah Chalk, everybody, the greatest. Uh, Next, we have one of the most surprising, one of the most talked about, one of the most filled with nuggets of wisdom and knowledge, interviews, I don't want to be too bold and say maybe ever, but certainly here on Fake Doctors, Fake Real Friends. I know the show name of this podcast. <laughs> it's early. Um, we had Richard Kind on the show, guys, and he blew us away with his passion for the audition process, with his love for Michael J. Fox and all that that man has brought to the world of entertainment And just with his ability to be so damn funny right off the cuff. So bless you, Richard, for coming on the show. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Let's take another listen to one of my favorite interviews. Here's Richard Kind. Okay. What I wanted to say, I mean, you talked about, uh, uh, do I get excited about a script or, or excited about a part? Yes, I do. I certainly do. Or you pray that you have an opportunity to play that part. I'm going to say something that, that might be interesting to you guys. Or to, I'm one of the idiots that likes auditioning. Really? Why? What? There's a couple of reasons. Number one, as an actor, I like to play all different kinds of roles. I may not be, I may not be hired, but for 10 minutes, I got to play that role. Hmm. And I can't do it alone in the bathroom. I'm not going to invite friends over and go, hey, <laughs> listen to me do this. Listen to me do Willie Loman. Because, yeah. uh, you know, just here, here, I'll give you a sandwich. And, uh, let <laughs> Although me I would come to see you do Willie Loman in your living room. <laughs> I'd, I, I would love, someday I'd love to do it. But, it, but, but the thing is, you need, uh, an actor needs an audience. And even if it's a kid with a camera, you're still performing. So I happen to appreciate it. Uh, the other thing is, is... Um, I like being nervous. I like the jitters of like an opening night. Mm. That's fun for me. Mm. Uh, I know I'm not going to die. I know that my life is not on the line. I know nothing's going to happen to my kids, but I get nervous. Like being on a roller coaster can be fun. And so you're going in front of important people. You may get a job. This could be the job that makes you uh, uh, a huge amount of money, brings you fame. And you yeah. might be uh, Matt Perry in, in Friends. You don't know. Uh, so who knows what this audition is going to bring? 
or that the person that you're auditioning for may become a good friend, whatever it is, but you're nervous. Mm -hmm. Things are on the line. Yeah. It's a good way to live. I, I I never heard it put that, like I've, that. I, but I but but, but I've heard the nerve. I heard the nervous part put like that. I've never heard the actors need to perform. Look at it as a room to perform. I do. Oh, it's an opportunity. That's such an amazing. A, and, that's that's such a golf I'm analogy gonna, too. That's bad. such a golf analogy, dude. But it's an opportunity. On. Here's here's another crazy thing that if I'm teaching, uh, which I don't do a lot of, but I, I have. When you go in for an audition, you are going. Oh, dear God, let me get this role. Please let me be good. Please let me be great. I don't go in that way. I go in and I see six people who all want to make Larry David money. They all want the success of Seinfeld. They all want the success of Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's what they want. They want money. They want success. They don't care whether I get the role. They want money. And I go in saying, if, and you have to believe this. You have to believe you're the right actor for the role. But if I, if I believe that, which a lot of times I do, I can do this. I go in with the mindset of, guys, I'm going to help you make a lot of money. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you better, if when you cast me, you better cast around me as good as me because I'll help you make money. I'm going to help make this thing great. Wow. Don't worry. I got your back. It's a but pep most, talk. But, but most people go in going, oh, I got to get this. Oh, I yeah, got to yeah. get this role. If you go in with the, with the feeling of I'm going to help you yeah. make the success, that takes all the pressure off of you. Yeah, Richard, I love that. And I, I have to say from when I'm directing, I, I learned a lot about auditioning when I was directing because – you sit. You think that being on the other side of the table is fun. It's fun for about thirty-five minutes, and right. then it's really grueling and stressful because all you're thinking is, "Fuck, we're not going to find this guy or this gal." So what I always say to actors is, "You, you need to." I mean, yours is brilliant, and I'm going to steal it. But I also say, "They're you don't know this. They're rooting for you. They want. They're dying for you to be good. If you're great, they're done. It's great." <laughs> if you're great, they're going to make money if yeah. you're good. And all you <laughs> want to do is be good for yourself. Don't right. guess. They're, they're saying, dear God, give me somebody who's good. I agree with you. Now I'm going to bring up something that you're going to hate, but you know that I'm going to bring it up. Go. When you were doing uh, Going My Way. Or go, go, well, going, when, in when, going in style. Going in style. I auditioned for The Banker at the beginning. Yeah. And I did not have, and I only went on tape, and I did not have, I remember not being, not feeling good about it. Mm -hmm. I remember it. And I, of course you care whether or not you get a I part. think I requested you come in for it. Okay, could be. What I wanted to do was not get the role. I wanted to do, I wanted to impress Zach. Oh my God, my heart. That's what I wanted to do. Now, the guy you hired happened to be a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And he's great. Yeah. He's wonderful. Uh, and I, do, do, you, do you mind not getting a role? Oh, yeah, yeah, it happens. Uh, but that, that was my mindset, and it could have gotten in my way of doing a good job. Well, I got to say that what, what, what I think, as I recall, I asked you to come in because I literally, uh, I, when, I, when I'm casting something, I all, and, and it's a, particularly a funny part, I'm like, well, who are the funny people that I like I, working with? I agree. And, I agree. And, and you're at the top of that list. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I I I I I really like 
and I'm sure there's a lot of actors uh, uh, listening who 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 this is this is really useful advice. The audition process we've all been groomed our whole lives to be like, and we do it. Oh shit, I'm nervous. Oh shit, come on, please, come on, God, come on, universe, give this to me. But it really comes down to not walking in that room terrified, walking in that room with your shoulders back, going, guys, let me let me help you. I'm here. Yes. Do this let together. me help you. <laughs> but not necessarily saying that. You can't say that. No, it's no. Your performance. It's, Let's just be clear. It's, no. It's through the performance. <laughs> oh, no, 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 yes, no, yes. No, actors, please don't, don't walk in the room and loud. say, you're lucky I'm here. Right. You, you don't say it out loud. You go, you don't say, hey, fuckers, you better cast as well as me. This is a good segue into, can you, you tell us you. about uh, spin, your audition for Spin City and, 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 and Bill and how all that went? I got a great story. This oh, okay. will take about five minutes. Great story. You can, you can take an hour. Go ahead. Well, he has um, a tea time. He's got a tea time, but take, do, take five minutes. Take time. Yes, but we're talking about me, so I guess I have a lot of <laughs> I'll only I'll only play eight holes. <laughs> yeah, if I can keep talking about me, and you can tell me how good I am. I can stick Richard, Richard, Richard only has a tea time if we talk about things unrelated to him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Gary David Goldberg had a show called Champs. It was about, it was sort of like that championship season. It was, the, it was sort of based on his life. It was one coach and five guys who were best friends, of which Gary does have that life. He, he had his best friends who were a basketball team from when he was in, in high school. So he made a, 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 a sitcom about that called Chance, and I wanted to read for him. And Gary said, he's not right. He goes, I know Richard Kind. I know him from Mad About he's not, he's not right for it. And I'm going, I, I, I just let me read. He would not see me. That show went the way of most shows, like one season. Then he had Spin City. And he didn't want to see me. And we called the casting director, and the casting director spoke to Bill Lawrence, and Bill wanted to see me. And I said, let me go in and see the casting director first so that I can practice and see it because Gary doesn't want to see me. And Gary says, oh, I know. I know Richard Kind from Man About You. And he's great. He's great. He's not right for the role. Gary didn't want to see me. Bill did. I had a handle on this part. The only thing that would have uh, not gotten it for me is because I was too tall for Michael J. Fox or I might have been too uh, Jewish, ethnic, New York City for whatever. But otherwise, if they called me back, the role is mine. So I wanted to go into the uh, casting director, and then I went into uh, the uh, in, to, to read for Bill and for Gary. And indeed, I was called back. And I literally said to myself, "If they called me back, this role is mine." Okay, I'm, I have to go in to meet with Michael. Cut. Back years before, when I was at Second City, Michael J. Fox came to uh, to Second City. He was doing the movie Satisfaction. Let me just pause for those that don't for those that don't know. Second City is an improv uh, group. Go ahead. Right, and uh, uh, and I was part of the company. And I, and whenever somebody famous was in the audience, we would invite them to improvise with us, which we did with Michael. So Michael and Robin Duke are doing a a scene. It was obviously he was the son, she was the mother. It's obvious if I open the door and I say, honey, I'm home, I'm the father and I belong there. 
I so I come into the scene with uh, "Honey, I'm Home," and Michael bounded one, two, three, and jumped into my arm <laughs> like this. I mean, off the floor and into my arms. Now, a couple of things. I'm strong, but I'm not that strong. <laughs> but Michael J. Fox is so light that anybody's strong to lift him. And he clomped onto me like David Letterman did with Velcro. Velcro. Do you remember when he did that? Yeah. He yeah. And, went, <laughs> and Michael did that and he hung on like that. When I tell you, and you've got to understand how long time is, there was a 45-second laugh. <laughs> it's, and and it, it wasn't that it was that. It was Michael was so athletic and agile and knew the laugh, and he just hung on, and I walked around with him. <laughs> and on. I'm telling you, like a monkey, like a monkey. Yeah, they were dying. It is a laugh. I will always remember it in my head. It's like a movie. I can see what it looks like. Right. Memorable. Before I went into the audition, cut to today. Okay, to to the audition for Spin City. And sometimes I, I don't have a therapist anymore. But at the time I had a therapist. And it was a good luck thing that I go and see my therapist sometime before I had the audition and it would loosen me up. It would make me feel alive or whatever. Yeah. So I go in and I say, I tell him the story and I say, should I bring it up? And my therapist goes, absolutely. If it was that memorable, absolutely bring it up. I go in, I meet Michael and I say, I've got to tell you, you may not, you, you, we've met before <laughs> I was on stage at Second City, and we did this. And this is what Michael said, and he's given me permission to, to tell the story. He goes, I'm sorry, I, I don't remember it because I was so drunk and high during that point in my life, I don't even remember doing satisfaction. Wow. Oh, my God. He did not remember being at Second City. He didn't remember being in Chicago. He had no memory of really doing the movie. Isn't that amazing? Oh my god! Oh my. I know. Isn't that isn't that something? That's one yeah, of the biggest. Mo it's crazy that one of the biggest moments in your life, one of the moments that yes, set it one off, of the a memorable laugh. Yeah, he has no no clue, wow. no clue. He has no memory however, of leaping onto leaping onto one of the improv comedians. Uh, he has no memory of leaping on right. and holding on Le for forty. Leaping seconds. on. However, this is something I then remember about the audition. This is something I clearly remember is I had a, they wrote a Bill Lawrence, as you know, as everybody who's listening, Bill Lawrence is a fucking genius. Yeah, he is. He works very hard at being a genius. And sometimes he works to the last minute at being a genius, but nonetheless, he is a genius at what he has chosen to do. Yeah. He's, he makes things accessible funny, weird, and, and, and let, let me get to, to, to that a little later. But I remember doing the scene and he wrote such a brilliant, funny line because he was a great writer. Um, um, Gary was a great showrunner, not necessarily, he was a great captain. He was not necessarily as great a writer as some of the product that he put out. But when you have a, a genius like, like Bill Lawrence, uh, you, you can get it. And Gary was able to 
to teach things to Bill and generate things that Bill not only learned, but cultivated and made blossom even more. But the, the, I had one hilariously funny line that I read and Michael J. Fox took, I, I, I wonder if I can do it. I don't think I'm that late anymore and this chair's gonna, gonna roll. He jumped in the air like this and just landed he jumped in the air with laughter <laughs> and landed on, like, on the chair. He laughed that hard at my delivery. Wow. And I have to admit, I walked out of there going, the part is mine. Yeah. Right. The part yeah, is mine. You knew it's, right there. It's, it's, it's mine. We, and, uh, we, 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 Donald and I have spoken about his timing, uh, Michael J. Fox. I mean, I, I, I grew up watching Family Ties, and I didn't know how to analyze comedy or, 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 or anything about it at a young age. But I just knew – that he was doing something unique with his timing that was so special. And Bill has said to us that no one, no one could hold the, the pause and wait for the laugh better than, than Mike Fox. He, he just knew. It's like you watch those teenage girls playing double dutch and how they know just when to go in. Like Michael J. Fox was just so skilled at just the right amount of pause, right? He was. I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you two things. Number one, uh, I heard. Carl Reiner interviewed by Bob Costas and Carl Reiner said sitcoms were written by Jews to be acted by non-Jews. Mm -hmm. And Michael J. Fox has the rhythm of a Borscht Belt comedian. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm Jewish guy. Like Michael J. Fox. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That is, That's great. That is That's great, great, great talent. Yeah. He, he, he has that rhythm. And now I'm going to tell you something else. This is sour grapes a little bit. Michael could hold for, the, for that. He could take a line and make it three lines. Yeah. And the camera would always be on him because he's Michael J. Fox and he's the star of the show. If we tried to do it, Gary would edit it and it would all be compressed. Right, right, Because right. we're not the star. Right. And you just got to understand you're not the star. But I would, well, maybe I couldn't do what he did because quite honestly, what he did something. <laughs> I've done this with Michael and I've done this with Christopher Walken. I have acted with them. And as they're talking in my head, I'm going, really? That's how you're going to deliver the line? <laughs> really? That's your choice. <laughs> That's your choice. That's what you want to say and how you want to say it. All right. That's what's going on in my head. Right. And I would do that with Michael. And I, I was lucky enough to act with Christopher Walken. And I see them on screen. And it takes your breath away. Yeah. Richard Kind, everybody. Kind is calling all flavor chasers. Hey, it's Zach here. And Kind has six new flavors for whatever you crave. Is it something sweet? Try the new seeds, fruit and nuts bars with flavors like dark chocolate, raspberry and pumpkin seed. They're made with sweet raspberries and cranberries. And the number one ingredient, seeds. And for something savory, Kind has you covered. Try their roasted nuts and jalapeno bars or grab the rosemary nuts and sea salt bars. Savory snacking has never been this delicious. I know your mouth is watering. I personally love the raspberry. Mmm, mmm, Donald. Let me tell you, I could eat 10 of those a day. Oh, really? 
Rosemary's mine. All six new bars are gluten-free and have at least five grams of protein. Kind always leads with nutrient-dense ingredients like nuts. Explore all the new flavors waiting for you, like strawberry sunflower seed, orange cranberry pumpkin seed, and paprika nuts and mesquite smoked sea salt. This is the bar for people who love real food. Try all the new flavors of Kind Seeds, Fruit and Nuts Bars, and Kind Savory Bars. Shop on KindSnacks.com today. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. To conclude our episode, we're going to have uh, the most visited guest 
the person without whom none of this would be possible. Obviously, I'm speaking of Mr. Bill Lawrence. Uh, I'm just gonna, just gonna let it sprinkle over you, surprise you, as it were. He's been on a lot, but there was a particular moment I happen to love. I think you guys will enjoy revisiting. Um, it highlights the joy that is the friendship between Bill and Zach and Donald. And that's it. That's our show. So enjoy this lovely outro. Have a great couple days. We will see you on Thursday when Daniel comes back to host. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Daniel's doing his first clip show and he's going to tell us all about the beats behind your favorite rap recaps. So join us on Thursday. We'll see you guys then. Have a great one. Bye. So Bill, tell everyone what the very unique only once I believe in eight and a half or nine seasons did this occur? Uh, tell everybody what occurred. Uh, so this is fascinating, mate, because the the look it's an it's an old argument that's kind of gone away thanks to streaming. But what um, television network television specifically considered appropriate with censors um, and with standards and practices was so weird. Uh, especially you know the age old argument was. Uh, violence, you know, versus uh, um, sexual content. You know, you can kill anybody on TV, but don't have anybody, uh, you know, taking someone's shirt off or something like that. It was crazy. And this episode in particular drove me insane because um, it was before uh, medicinal marijuana was um, crazy, crazy widespread. And the episode was originally written that Elliot and Carla are trying to help a cancerous woman who is on the way out and uh, just having such a hard time with the pain and the discomfort. Uh, it was them out and about trying to get her uh, marijuana because they knew medically that it would alleviate a, a shit ton of her symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, and we handed that script in and said, you can't air this. You can't, unfortunately for you on NBC, even though it's um, for altruistic reasons. You can't have a physician and a nurse driving around trying to find someone they can buy pot off of. No, wait, pause help. one moment there, Bill. As I recall, we be uh, you handed it in, but we had begun shooting. You, We shot a, a, a scene or two of it, as I recall. Yeah, but, you know, that just makes me look like some... All right, so what Zach's story, one of the parts of Zach's story is... Bill sometimes didn't hand in the script until after we started shooting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. But you did. <laughs> uh, yeah. The subtext is, Bill, uh, well, you had the you had the power and clout to be able to do shit like that in the day. But and this was the one chance. This is the one opportunity where they were like, yeah, but no. <laughs> yeah. So say, they said we wouldn't air it. And partly because it was an easy fix and partly because I found it so hypocritical. I said, all right, well, because we need this story to still work structurally, we'll just have the woman that's dying be a virgin and we'll have Elliot and Carla go look for a man whore so she can get laid. And they're like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> oh <my gosh>. <laughs> <laughs> I love so that I, you were being was, facetious and they were like, all right, bet. All right, fine. Yeah, yeah I'll do that. Uh, <laughs> so, like, so they can't go, even though it's proven by, you know, so many medical studies. And, and now, as you guys know, we use... Um, uh, you know, different um products, CBD, etc., for any pain. Yeah, but, but this was this was this was whatever. This was yeah, eighteen but, years know, ago. But even back then, it was considered an amazing treatment for the side effects for chemo. You know, and yeah, for nausea. Uh, for nausea and for all that stuff. So I'm I'm like, doctors can't go get a patient that's dying 
marijuana, but they can go to anywhere and get her a man whore so she can have sex in the hospital. Yeah, that sounds funny. I'm like, all right. <laughs> but it is funny. By the way, it was really funny. <laughs> it is funny. By the way, it's a very it's a very funny episode, Bill, with a lot of memorable quotes, including the first ever what has two thumbs and doesn't give a crap. Bob Gelso. Bob, uh, Bob, Bob by the way, never ever, and that's an old joke. And the only reason that joke feels new is it has never, ever been delivered better than Ken Jenkins delivered. (laughs) Uh, Man, just, and by the way, you know, it's next version, it's sequel, which you guys will get to, is what has two thumbs and still doesn't give a crap. That's funny. By the way, instead of Bob Kelso, how you doing? It's Bob Kelso, I thought we had met. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I had never heard this joke until this moment. Until... Yeah, this was the first time. And I so I kind of got caught off guard when he was like, what has two thumbs and doesn't give a crap? I was like, what has two thumbs and doesn't give a crap? <laughs> and then when he goes, bam. <laughs> I laugh so hard. I, I don't think I've, yeah. To I, this so, day, you're absolutely day, right. Ken, so- has, Ken crushes it better than Dude. anybody has it ever was hilar- It's hilarious. And I, like Donald, I never, I didn't know it was a known joke. I thought you guys came up with it, but I thought it was fucking hilarious. He's an assassin when he just says things like they're real that way. Uh, it yeah. just kills me. Uh, my biggest memory of, and, and you guys can then drag through the different parts of this particular episode was um, I occasionally had times on Scrubs, I'm sure you guys did too, that I'd wander onto set and I wouldn't be sure what we were doing. And then what was happening there would make me think that I was on hallucinogens or at least I'd have a moment like, how is, this, how is anybody letting us do this on television? Oh my and God, there's so many moments. Because I had a bunch of things going on in this episode and was working on other things too sometimes. And I, I strolled down into the apartment set, which was away from everywhere else. And I walked in and Tara <laughs> Reed was sitting on a throne of toilet paper and there were like a bunch of male models dancing around. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. What, how is this? This isn't something for national television, is it? Like, no, no, you guys, it's in the script. I know. Uh, uh, there's some hilarious. That shit had shit me in there. rolling. Tara oh Reed dancing, Tara, well, doing there's the two shimmy. There's Her two doing different the shimmy. There's two different <laughs> Tara Reed. Uh, you're conflating two. There's one where she's in a room made of toilet paper, um, drinking a, a cocktail out of a toilet paper roll, <laughs> and and then there's another where I'm sort of um, a studious, uh, uh, nerdy uh, guy uh, reading my book. And she's uh, filled the apartment with male strippers who are gyrating all over her. And she's and, shimmying. Yeah. <laughs> Throws her hair I think down. there's banana hammocks everywhere or something, yeah. right? There'll be banana hammocks everywhere. Why, Bill, why Why do J.D. and, and, and Turk have a rule about the guests bringing their own toilet paper? <laughs> uh, I think that that was... What was the uh, seed of that idea? That was loosely based on um, a story I told about my college roommate named Steve Mack, who whenever we went on spring breaks or on trips, every time he opened his backpack, there'd be toilet paper in there. And it just <laughs> always, by the way, it's like those people that bring their own pillow on trips and you think yeah. they're an idiot and then you sleep on the pillow. Yeah. And we used to give him shit, you know, like, oh, if you baby your ass, it'll baby you. Like we get, you know, we used to give him constant shit about it. But then you get to some ski resort or some, shitty hotel and they would have like two ply sandpaper hanging from a metal thing by the toilet and Steve Mack would be like, nobody touched my own toilet paper. <laughs> and I'm like, that's good. That should be a rule for uh, <laughs> bring your own toilet paper anywhere you go. That's funny. Yeah, I have a buddy that brings his own wipes wherever he goes. 
not it's not dumb you know no, i travel not. with a pillow now i don't feel bad about it i did my I first um tra pillow travel this time to london bill because I, I i have fallen in love with a pillow and you can go to the fanciest hotel or the cheapest motel and 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 have bad pillows and it sucks uh you want to know another odd thing and i did see this i think because I looked at watched the episode last night, and I didn't want to do a Gabby, which is what it means when you have. A oh my episode. god! Yeah, don't do I a told Gabby. Bill. I was like, Bill, you you told us to bring a writer on, and the writer didn't watch the episode. The uh, I love Gabby. They're so funny. That was she funny was episode. so funny. She dude. was great, but we love to give her shit about it. I know the uh, well, you know she doesn't. Uh, don't worry, a, she doesn't listen. She doesn't know we're shit talking here. Well, she is. <laughs> By the way, this is on a Friday. She will not listen no matter what. The um, <laughs> the other piece of trivia that I remembered about this particular episode was there's a joke about Elliot saying someone saw her orgasm face. And um, I remember getting shit the writer's room because we were pretty good about continuity, but uh, we contradicted ourselves with Elliot's sexual past you uh, did. a thousand you, times. You did. Scrubs Wiki is very upset about it. I will read you a direct quote from uh, from. Yeah, Scrubs the people Wiki. on TV without pity were not having it. Let me tell you something. Here we go. It says... Um, when Elliot is talking to her patient, she talks about a time in high school when she had a, quote, orgasm face. Yet in a previous episode, she told Carla that she has never had an orgasm. Elliot's romantic life is full of differing stories. Yeah, contradictions. We also, I think she said once we said that she lost, uh, I think she lost her virginity in a crawl space. Um, uh. <laughs> but maybe we can rationalize it by saying Elliot is just... This doesn't, I don't know. How can you rationalize it? You say she doesn't remember her. And, and I think that she also, we also said, I think one time she lost her virginity with a guy that lost his arm to a bear, if you remember that. So, no. We but showed by the that way, fantasy. Yeah, by the way, she's so funny, funny in this episode. She was just uh, like let loose on this episode. I mean, yeah, both, both, your, both the writing for her and her whole just way of being there, was just fucking on like level 10. This there were some uncomfortable moments though in this episode for well, me. Well, when you one, saw her O-face? No, that one, Randall jumping out of the closet and Krista and Johnny C being on the bed in leather. That, that kind of fucked me up. I that was, was like, amazing. what? The? And do you and remember who's in the and gimp and costume? And do you remember and who's and in the gimp costume? <gasps> oh, was it Randall? I mean, no, wait, no, wait. Franklin, Franklin got better. Our yeah. second AD. Yeah. Uh, let, wait, hold up. This time, no. Krista was oiled up too. They both put the oil on because yeah, they're both yeah, shiny. Yeah. They, were, they were doing some Pulp Fiction gimp stuff. It was very weird. <laughs> I man. can't imagine Krista reading that and being like, okay, Bill. Okay. <laughs> uh, by the way, I just laid low and tried to avoid it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Here's some stories about a show we made about a bunch of docs and nurses and a janitor who loved to hate. I said, here's a story. Did you know that 46% of us don't take all our vacation days? Even though it's been proven that taking time off to play makes us more productive. In California, no matter where you go, you'll find play. Explore a redwood forest, immerse yourself in art galleries, or just park yourself in a beach chair and chill. Play is everywhere in California, so take some well-deserved playtime off and discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. 
Hey, it's Donald, and Kind Snacks has six new flavors for you to crave. Flavors like rosemary, strawberry, jalapeno, and raspberry. Each of the six flavors is made with number one ingredient seeds or nuts and has fruity or savory flavors depending on what you're craving. They're gluten-free with five to six grams of protein in every bar. Nutritious snacking doesn't have to be all blah and boring. The bar for people who love real food. Try all the flavors. Shop on Amazon today. Hey guys, I've been telling you about how we are big fans of Tacova's boots. Heritage, tradition, quality, comfort, style, and service are some of the best features of Tacova's. But now they also have a gift for our listeners. Tacova's will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps free with a minimum purchase of $100 at tacovas.com. Just use code REALFRIENDS at checkout. That's R-E-A-L-F-R-I-E-N-D-S. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And point your toes west. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.